And we're back again. With another episode of Foot in the Hood. Foot in the Hood. Yes. <laughs> I just realized that you do the we're back in the, what, what was it called? We're, we're back at it again. Yeah. You've been doing it every episode and I just realized. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so that became our impromptu opening. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know. One day we'll have a real opening. Yeah. Maybe I should cook something up in whatever free version of GarageBand there is out there. Yeah, um. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, today we're going to have a new episode to talk about cooking and food science. Yep. Um, but before that, we got some follow-ups from our last post on uh, CBD. Yeah, so I actually had a friend reach out to me. Um, he's working at a, a CBD emulsion company, and he reached out just to kind of tell us a little bit about the definition of cannabis and help help clear up um, some of the confusion that that might be out there. Um, and then mm-hmm. also, he gave us a little overview of why there is, um, I guess, pushback in the industry or why this why CBD hasn't really taken off as much as we thought it would. Um, so first off, just to clear things up, cannabis is a plant and hemp and marijuana are two varieties of cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think hemp and cannabis, they're used very interchangeably. So sometimes it's good to check with whoever is talking what they actually mean. Um, so cannabis is, it's like apple. And right. hemp and marijuana are like Honeycrisp Granny Smiths. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a great uh-huh. way to put it. Good analogy. Okay. Um, and then he also told us that, you know, there's there's a lot of um, analytical challenges with trying to profile the cannabinoids in the extract. So, you know, once you extract the oil from the plant, you need to test and see how much THC there is, um, Mm -hmm. what the different components are to see if it will be classified as CBD, right? Or THC. So um, the problem is different labs have wildly different ways of doing things and different labs produces results with with very different cannabinoid profiles. So it's kind of all over the board. So that's sort of, I mean, you know. This is kind of the thing that we take for granted. Oh, yeah. Right? Because, like, in the law, it was like, oh, just have less than 0.03% of THC. It sounds really simple, doesn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just like a line of thing. But really, from the analytical scientist perspective, it's like, how oh, do you yeah. measure that? <laughs> exactly. Like, even just look at your nutrition label, right? Your nutrition label uh-huh. tells you, like, oh, there's how much vitamin C in this. And, you know, that this is like, what, 5% of your daily value. But think about how much work and effort went into making sure that that, that method for determining mineral and vitamin content in your food has to be standardized across the entire industry and all the yeah. labs that are running. Like, this is a really big ordeal. So that makes sense for a relatively new um, kind of substance on the market why there's such a long process to even get there exactly and it's measuring something that's not common in other food mm-hmm. so like if you're say making it a new nutrition drink like all the nutrient measurement techniques are out there you just need to be adaptive mm-hmm. but for this it's like no it's one a whole really new world. published any method uh-huh and um so the fda don't regulate the extraction processes 
right or was that was that some of the feedback that he yeah got? it seems uh well what he was telling me was that a lot of times the extraction processes is not regulated by a government no by fda by a federal agency, but instead it is regulated by state agencies. And a lot of times these are environmental agencies, which is not directly applicable to food sometimes. Um, so there's yeah. still quite some issues on that front and that, that that's hmm. probably also what's holding it back. But we wanted to, you know, give you guys this little piece of tidbit. We really appreciate when listeners reach out and tell us, whoa, I have something else to add or like, actually, <laughs> you know, it's not X, it's Y. Uh, we really yeah. appreciate it. So please keep the feedback, keep the comments coming. Um, love interacting with our listeners. Totally. Yeah. And I think um, this is really good of episode that we threw out was just kind of like the newbie it's like you and i are both like scientific literate but we have no particular knowledge about right CBD. right yeah. yeah and what we do know usually we you know we google and do a little bit of research before each episode but we still appreciate when someone who's actually in the industry or someone who's very uh who's a subject matter expert reaches out and tells us oh okay i have this other thing to add you know like that that's mm-hmm. really fun for us to learn and we like sharing it with you guys as well yeah and speaking of sharing this is a great segue to <laughs> the next little point because uh, we got interviewed yeah. uh, just the past week um, by the University of Minnesota's International Career Service. I mean, we talk a little bit about our podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why they featured both of us on one one like interview. Right. I think uh, um, the interviewer heard about our podcast, have listened to it a little bit, and then reached out to us. Uh, both We're both alumni at the College mm-hmm. of Food and Agricultural Sciences at UFM. So it's a good opportunity for us to kind of share um, our, our career path and tips for graduating seniors. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I don't know, I feel like doing this podcast kind of really trains us to just talk on the spot. Because there's not that whole, you don't do like a whole lot of editing, right? Um, Less and less editing. Right. So I feel like that translates, that that makes it easier too when we were doing the live interview with um, Jane. Oh, that's my rice cooker beeping, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> no worries. Um, but yeah, and also it's still quarantine days, right? So <laughs> we got to be on a lot of calls. Exactly. And exactly. I feel like it just helps for uh, for people to, like you and I were talking and it was just, it's like ca- casual discussions, but it's not face to face. So in order to articulate a point, you have to be really clear on it. Or at least to hear from a, from like headphones and then speak into a microphone. Well, yeah, I don't know. I think we we did well on yeah. the thing. It was like we we still got the recording vibe going on. Yeah. And by yeah. the way, that was a live uh, streaming. Yeah. So, so no editing. <laughs> right. No editing. Ben couldn't like work his magic. Raw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty raw of yeah. an interview. I, I do think that in this day and age, Zooming and talking uh, virtually, you know, conference call, that seems to be a common backbone of a lot of people's lives nowadays. And I think yeah. we're all getting better and better at it. You know, like even little things like watching people's face to see when they'll start to pause and when to jump in and, you know, little things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but 
for today. <laughs> yeah. We went on a little tangent there, but I think today what we wanted to talk about was food science and you know, kind of how our training and background in food science, how has that helped us become better cooks or chefs at home? Um, and kind of yeah. clear out some misconceptions about food science. I think people equate food science to culinary school sometimes. Um, so, Well, first is like people don't really know what food science is. Um, right. I, I don't know. Or like I think both you and I, or food science, food scientists in general, right, are um, you know misunderstood as chefs, mm-hmm. as uh, nutritionists, dietitians. Oh, that, yeah, that one yeah, a lot. Right. That one a lot. Yeah. So it's just like um, very interesting, and I remember this very clearly. It was still back in uh, University of Minnesota. There's this mm-hmm. one administrator uh, she doesn't work in the uh, you know college of agriculture or he she i i didn't know that she know anything about food science but she you know was saying you know uh, you know ben you're you're food science you so you're basically a chemist and i was like wow i feel so flattered and like so well understood this time <laughs> right because it wasn't the typical chef slash nutritionist yeah, thing right i was like yeah. oh this is well, great if <laughs> someone you. were to ask you if, if someone were to ask you to give like an elevator pitch about what food science is in 30 seconds what would be your pitch um, not to put you on the spot know. there but i put you on the spot there <laughs> sure um, so it would be, I would say it's the intersection between engineering, chemistry, microbiology, and, you know, consumer studies to all centered around uh, manufacturing uh, food. Right. So Develop not just... and manufacture food. Not just like a home chef, but on a very bigger industrial um, level of production. Yeah, I normally just say it's everything. I work on food that um, you see from grocery aisles. Mm-hmm. That's like a good way. in the restaurants, yeah. uh, not even barely in like fast restaurant, fast food restaurants, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit in a fast food restaurant, but mostly it's grocery stuff. Right, right. And, and we also don't mess with farm stuff either. It's mm-hmm. like a really small window. It's just like grocery store only type mm-hmm. of thing yeah mm-hmm. i do think there's also a lot of overlap between different fields right we we, we, oh, we took sure. we take food chemistry uh that's a class we take as an undergrad and there's elements of chemistry but it's very much applied to food and food matrices you know center around fat protein carbohydrates minerals and mm-hmm. vitamins and interactions of all of that in a food matrix and i think that's also what makes it a little bit more challenging uh I think that people think, oh, chemistry, but applied to food. Isn't that easier? Because we've been eating food forever, right? <laughs> well, it's actually complicated. It's complicated right? because food is such a complex thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, even so... look at a tomato fresh from the vine. <laughs> There's like yeah. hundreds, I don't know, hundreds of different compounds in there that gives it its characteristic flavor, taste, texture, all of that, right? So I think mm-hmm. in a food is a little bit more complicated than what people give it credit for, and we're when we're trying to alter it uh, for an industrial setting, and you know, trying to mass produce something and turn food into something shelf stable, like there's a lot of complexity <laughs> there. Yeah, well, I mean, 
the the good flattering that we got is like every food scientist is a good cook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that's like the halo effect. <laughs> I don't know if it's super true. Like you said, right? We, you know, we went through basically the same education, and the uh, I don't think I took anything that was food science related in my freshman year. Mm-hmm. But in sophomore year, there's this intro to food science class. Oh yeah, it, it's for like major student <laughs> only, uh, and so it's it's all food science and nutrition students yeah. that needed to take this class, and it's probably the most useful, like quote unquote, culinary class. Right, right. I think that's the only one that is like probably a little bit similar even to culinary arts, not on the art aspect, but on like the science and process behind why things、yeah. become the way they are in the kitchen. Because、so, the recipes are super basic. Right, right, right. There's not a lot of flavoring. Yeah,、this. I、uh-huh. like just to give people context what this class is about. Right, we might we might get a recipe for making angel cake or for making bread. And then we'll do different variations of it. Okay, what if we take out half the flour? What if、yeah. we replace the butter with shortening or with lard? Like, what? How does it affect texture, crumb size,、uh, air、mm-hmm. pockets? How fast or how much the bread rises, etc. So, just to kind of give you context, that's the class we took, and you know, it's 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 the closest we can get to culinary, but it's very <laughs> science focused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's like every class you need to write a lab report after each of the lab, and the, really the lab is the cooking in that those labs are really easy. Oh yeah, the TA pre measured everything for you. Everything like, is easier than actually doing it at home. Yeah, I remember because I yeah because I TA the non major version of that class,、mm-hmm. and the TA did so much. It was like. You know those like large weigh boats, so like a plastic little plate.、Mm-hmm. Um, so like we weigh out all the flowers for making cake, making bread, and、wow. all the students needed to do was to take a mixing bowl, dump everything in there, add water, and start to、uh, put 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 it on the mixer. Starting count, counting down seconds. They literally spoon fed them. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right.、Um, yeah, but it's still fun. It、um, is fun, yeah.、Mm-hmm. And I think it also made us like think about oh, you know, like the average food science student that walks into this class versus a non-food science student, like how, like that's that's I don't know. Thus, taking、um, food science classes, including this one, does it make us a better chef at home、um, versus someone who hasn't gone through a food science undergraduate education? Like, how how valuable is it in terms of like home cooking? Maybe I don't know. Like, this has been. I mean, you and I talked about this a little bit、uh, before. It was like it's kind of true, because because like living in the food science in Environment in the past, when you're surrounded by people who are at least have some degree in food science,、mm-hmm. like cooking isn't it's it's like a default skill.、Mm-hmm. Like it could be you can have your own specialty. Some people are really good at baking. Some people good at、uh, grilling. People good at making specialty dishes. But like it's kind of like y- you have an arena. It's not just like. 
for potluck, you just hear, here are two bottles of wine. And I'm like a terrible cook, that like, type of thing. Right, right, right. And I think the major itself also kind of tends to attract people who are naturally already gravitating towards food, either because you know, mm-hmm. they're a foodie and they really enjoy uh, going out to different restaurants or, you know, they personally like to experiment with food at home, right? So there's that sort of self-selection bias as well mm-hmm. that brings people into this major. But anyway, that, that's an interesting thought. Um, yeah, so it's just, the bottom line is it's kind of true that right. most food science people are at least slightly better of a cook towards one or multiple specialties. Right. Does this episode mm. make, us sound, make us sound really pompous and arrogant? <laughs> I don't know. Just like, That's not the intention Wait for at us all. to get, get mailed, be like, no, you know, I went through, I'm a PhD in food science. I yeah, really and I can't cook, cook for shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's always a spectrum, but I feel like in my circle of food science friends, people do tend to, we do tend to talk a lot more about food and what we're cooking than, you know, my other non-food science friends. So this is very anecdotal and just from our personal experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just thinking back to some of the classes that we took back in undergrad and how that kind of shapes what we do in the kitchen or what I do in the kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. Like one word that comes out a lot in undergrad is Malart browning, right? We hear about this all yeah. the time. Malart browning, this is a flavor pathway. It creates these amazing flavors. Um, that's why you should brown your protein. You should, you know, try to sear your chicken and then throw it in the oven to finish off. Things like that. Yeah. You, you know, that that's just kind of like a practice in a lot of recipes but like we kind of know a little bit more of why mm-hmm. like maybe too much details about why but <laughs> but like it's fine we're, we're like do it it's like an extra step you might have to wash a, a, a an extra pan mm-hmm. but um it's so much it. flavor yeah it's, like it's a flavor bomb yeah uh-huh. and another thing is just maybe in like overall practice Right, like food safety. We talked about this a little bit about, you know, knowing microbiology and how that changes. We see the kitchen or see food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at least for myself, uh, I try to avoid as much of uh, cross-contamination as possible and be really mindful of, um, you know, separate the raw from the cook. Right, like maybe have a separate mm-hmm. chopping board for your raw versus yeah, definitely. like your raw meats versus other things. Mm-hmm. So those are, you know, we didn't really practice that that much. I don't think we even cooked meat in the Yeah, I don't think we cook meat at all. It's mostly right. just pastry and big products. Meat will be yeah. too much of a microbial hazard <laughs> for right. all these sophomores. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> sophomores who barely know how to weigh out ingredients, <laughs> <laughs> a.k.a. us. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. And it's um, on the topic of food safety, it's just kind of funny. I remembered the other day I made rice in my rice cooker and then I made it at night, right? And then I kind of just forgot about it. I, I turned it off so I didn't have the keep warm feature. I, I took out the plug. I had my rice in my rice cooker. It wasn't mm-hmm. plugged in. So it was just sitting there for the entire night. And then like the next day around noon, I suddenly realized, oh my God, I have this rice in my rice cooker. Is it 
can I still eat it or will I have to throw it away? And I didn't want to throw it away because it seems like such a waste. But I've never, I've never experienced this before. So I posted on my Instagram asking people like, is this still safe to eat? Well, it could have bacillus spores. (laughs) Yeah, like my food science (laughs) friends are texting me and they're like, bacillus serious, do not eat, abort, throw away. (laughs) My other friends, especially my Asian friends, they were all like, dude, of course you can still eat it. <laughs> like, we're all still alive. Yeah. This is what our moms and our grandmas and like, you know, are like, like, that's what our parents did. So I ended up eating it and I was fine. I don't recommend that people follow what I did, but, you know, I'm a I sucker for like... trying to not waste food. But <laughs> no, if you no, no, no. I feel like if you heat it up again, like, right. well, above uh, the, the, the inactivation temperature of Bacillus. Of, serious. Um, Bacillus yeah. Unless it's a spore former. It, it, it should be a spore former to survive in the first round of cooking. Right. And then they would like germinize and. Oh, yeah, do it is a spore forming. Stuff. That's right. That's right. Let yeah. me, I'm going to like, I'm looking up the temperature <laughs> right now. I, I think it's fine. Like it's, if you cook it, because in the past they were. Oh, wait, Bacillus serious spores are very heat resistant. But go yeah, on, finish are. your thought before I no, jump No, no, no. My, my, I, I remember this from like taking a food safety class or whatever. They were saying how in the old days, mm-hmm. um, say like a Chinese takeout place would cook. There's no like really uh, good rice cookers, right? So they would cook rice in like regular pots and just leave it there. Mm-hmm. And I mean... It's not the best practice because they were still selling those rice for, you know, a day or two. Right, right, so right. In, in that case, if you don't heat up the rice again, it, it assumes that it's been sterilized and you use a clean spoon each time. Um, but the spores will gradually germinate and starts to um, get people sick. Mm. Given that people take the food home and they don't heat it up again. Right, exactly. That's a really good point. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It <laughs> seems like for Bacillus cereus, mm-hmm. uh, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it, but it seems like yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna offend all the microbiologists. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that ahead of time. Uh, yeah, you're you're completely right. If you don't refrigerate it properly or you let it sit out like the multiplication rate is pretty fast because it says for a food matrix of cooked rice mm-hmm. um, bacillus cereus only takes 26 to 31 minutes to double at 30 degrees mm. celsius so that's a pretty fast multiplication rate i feel um, yeah so like overnight it's gonna replicate itself pretty um, right. in a pretty large quantity right yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but anyway, don't do oh, what wow. I did. Y'all should probably be safe. <laughs> but I just really didn't <laughs> yes. want to waste the rice because I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I, uh, yeah, didn't want to waste my oh, rice. It's fine. Yeah, I'm still alive. I didn't mm-hmm. get sick from it. Um, so but. yes, we were talking about food science, uh, knowledge we gain in class, and how mm-hmm. that has helped us. I think another one that was kind of helpful was all these different lab classes we took, be it for food analysis or mm-hmm. uh, what was that class we took with Katrin? Um, 
it's like another food analysis class, right? Yeah. So, something like reactions in food. Like we talked about reaction kinetics and things like that. But I feel、yeah. like for all of these classes, for lab classes in particular, like not even food science, even OCHEM, like they involve reading the、um, directions really thoroughly beforehand, prepping everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all of these classes.、Mm-hmm. Um, I have a hypothesis, and I have like a sample size of three to back it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe four. Okay.、Um, so it's like my like I feel well, whoever's good at lab work can at least cook something. Definitely. G- given given the fact that they want to, right? Because my dad he's a, a hematologist. Uh, mm-hmm. And he used to when he was young, he worked in like diagnostic labs,、mm-hmm. right? So he he like really got he was really hands on、um, lab work in general, and he's a pretty good cook. He he has the interest of it, and also is really good at、uh, cooking in general,、mm-hmm. right? So,、um, and I think you and I both echo the same point here, and it doesn't have to be a food science lab. It can be any lab,、mm-hmm. uh, and even my uncle, he's he's more of a material scientist or a physicist.、Uh, he deals with you know hardware stuff, like、mm-hmm. nothing is really pouring it re- reagents or whatever. But he's also pretty good at cooking because he's got that、um, planning mindset. Right. Right. Definitely. And, and just, I. Right. Go on. Yeah, yeah, and just I feel labs. In general, helps with reading recipes, right? Like things are sequential, and you're able to follow、uh, like quantitative directions, like preheat oven to forty four four hundred degrees, right?、Uh, like wait for twenty five minutes. These type of instructions. Yeah, yeah. Like you always like, know what's gonna take the longest time, like you know, boiling water or like heating things up. Like heat, like preheating the oven, and then you, that's the first thing you do when you walk into the kitchen, right?、Yeah. That kind of planning is really, really helpful and translates from the lab to the home, and from the home to the lab as well. Right, 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 and it's just like multitasking. It's yeah, just helpful yeah. for cooking. Definitely, like you know,、uh-huh. if you're putting like a. You know, putting all your different centrifuge tubes in a centrifuge for ten minutes, and then you you're like, okay, well, in this time I can refill all my pipette tips. <laughs> yeah, right. And you know, I can I can start doing this because that's gonna take another five minutes. And that kind、mm-hmm. of planning really helps you become more efficient, right? It's a little bit similar, I I guess, to mizum place. I'm saying this wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, but let's just like prepare in in, in advance. Yeah, to have all things in place, right? So you can just get it going really fast. Yeah, like、mm-hmm. I remember when I was cooking when I first left home at eighteen, and when I started living、um, not in a dorm in an apartment where I could cook. I remember I used to burn things a lot. Because、uh-huh. I would just forget about them on the stove while I was chopping something else up, and I would set off the fire alarm, like <laughs>、uh-huh. or not the fire alarm, the smoke detector in our so, apartment. So you've, so you've had the dark days. 
I have had many dark days cooking okay. in the kitchen. And I think like I barely burn things now. So I guess, you know, it's not not great, but it's like a huge step up from where uh, I first began. Um, and I think definitely working in the lab has helped with that, but also cooking and, you know, just years of experience of trying to cook for myself. Mm-hmm. That probably helps as well. Um, but I think having that foresight and to plan is important. Another thing that kind of we learn in a lab that translate well home is not contingency planning, but what to do when things don't go well, right? A lot of times you need <laughs> yeah, to make to compromises. Make <laughs> <laughs> well, like not make shit up, like making data up or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to give people the wrong impression, but you know, sometimes, okay, well, you need to do procedure A, but you don't have equipment B and C. Can you do something similar to mimic the whole process on the bench while still trying to yeah. get results? That happens a lot. Things break. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't borrow that equipment because someone else has it for the next two weeks, right? Yeah, you just like have to be flexible. You have to be and, flexible. And that helps. I mean, it that requires you to understand a little bit of the principles, mm-hmm. right? So you can't really do this thing right away because um, you don't have this equipment. But if you change some things out, you can probably use another piece of equipment. Right. The same you need thing. to figure out what parameters in your original procedure, like what's essential and what's optional, right? Mm-hmm. You need to yeah. understand the kinetics behind that. And I think it's similar in the kitchen as well, right? If you're cooking, I remember I was trying to make these like Sichuan style uh, stir fry eggplants and I didn't have yeah. fermented bean paste or something uh-huh, yeah, so i just yeah. had to use hoisin sauce like yeah. but that 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 happens in the kitchen too people are always using substitutes because they don't have something right so that that really right, translates right, right. across both locations and also even for you know functional ingredients what if you don't have like baking soda can you use like baking powder and how, how do you make it up can you like different type of you know, starches in general have slightly different functionalities. Mm-hmm. Right? So, right. If I don't have potato uh-huh. starch, but I have corn starch, can I use it? How does mm-hmm. the amylose amylopectin ratio differ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm really good at those things. But. Yeah, like I feel like I forgot a lot of that. But like at least we kind of yeah. know what's important, even if we don't remember like the amylose ratio or whatever. At least we know, okay, that's part of the reason why this starch doesn't thicken as well as the other starch right given this temperature range i'm working in totally Mm -hmm. well so just to kind of sum up this uh you know food science definitely helps with cooking right given that you have the willingness to cook Um, yeah and definitely in the food safety practice safe practices uh in planning for efficiency and also for you know flavor development or these flexible cooking aspects really helps. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on, uh, maybe to the uh, segment of new food product. Yes. Do you want to go first, Ben? Have you tried anything recently? I yeah, I tried a candy. Uh, it's uh, milk duds. Uh, I've ever I've never had milk duds in the past. Wait, um, it sounds like familiar. A... I'm gonna Google it so yeah, I can it, see a picture. You, you probably have seen it or had it. Milk dots. 
Oh, milk duds. D-U-D-S. Oh, is it like a caramel center kind of Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a chocolate-coated caramel center, um, you know, kind of sticky candy. Mm -hmm. Did you like it? Mm -hmm. Um, At first, I didn't. You know, it was a little bit artificial to me. Maybe it was just like the milk chocolate was not my favorite type of chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, gradually as I eat it more, it's it's fine. I, I, I still, I mean, it's like something sweet I can eat. That's right. pretty good. Yeah, because you're mm-hmm. not like a huge candy person, right? I feel usually you don't no. really, you're not a huge snack or candy person. I feel like you're like the the three meals a day sort of <laughs> yeah i'm pretty i'm a meal purist yeah meal purist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so yeah. i don't but i keep trying to get a little especially now i spend so much time at home oh my god I just feel yeah like I, I should eat some you know snacks here and there just to I feel like working at home is the worst because I just snack every two hours now instead of having proper meals. You know, you Uh get bored, you walk around, you're like, oh, maybe I should eat this or maybe I should cook up something. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I know. So Uh, what about you? Yeah. For me, I tried um, Rice Krispies. Oh, sorry, not Rice Krispies. Yes, Rice Krispies. That's what they're called. <laughs> uh-huh. So Kellogg's Strawberry Krispies. Um, that yeah. I don't know if you've had that cereal before, but it's like Krispies, but it's pink in color. And yeah. it doesn't really taste like strawberries, to be perfectly honest. Um, but it looks really nice and pink. I had it, mm-hmm. loved it. Um, but what was interesting was I was looking at the ingredient label, and it says... Uh, for the color, they were using vegetable juice for color as well as beta carotene. And this is like a cereal that's targeted towards kids. And it just made mm. me think like, oh, a lot of products on the market have switched from red 40 to natural coloring because of that consumer pushback. Because the color is inside. Well, I don't know. Is the, color is, the color is all across the surface of the Rice Krispie and also I think inside as well. It's just mixed in, it seems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's mixed in. So it's not like a, um, like a Cheeto. Yeah, that, yeah. Like it's not a thing just that's just on the outside. Yeah, I don't think it's like uh-huh. Cheeto powder or anything. Yeah. But um, it, I, I liked it for the color. That's why I bought it. Nice. <laughs> and the other day I was making a smoothie, and my smoothie was looking a little bit like sad because it was like this pale yellow color and I wanted uh-huh. to spice it up so I added like a tablespoon or two of the strawberry crispies into my smoothie uh-huh. and then blended it up again <laughs> it gave us such a nice like light pink color I was like okay I'm yeah, gonna do that that's from now pretty on. great uh-huh. yeah <laughs> and <laughs> it tastes really very nice, neutral actually. as well so like it doesn't even taste mm-hmm. like you know I've added anything to my smoothie nice yeah, yeah. hey that that's a trick mm-hmm you know, you when know you don't have, have strawberries. That's a really good question. Maybe chocolate? I don't know. I've only seen uh-huh. like the original and the strawberries ones. Got it. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that, that's, that's cool. our uh, that's our fun new food tries for the week. Yep. So I think that's a wrap for this that's episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us on all type of podcast platforms uh, to search for Food in the Hood. And uh, you can also contact us, um, ask us questions, or leave comments about episodes. Uh, email us at fihpodcast at gmail.com. Yep. 
Love hearing from you guys. Definitely makes our day. Whenever I get a comment, I straight away screenshot it and like, oh my god, Ben, someone, <laughs> someone said something. Right. So yeah, definitely, definitely keep those coming. We loved engaging with you guys. Yep. Yeah. Till next time. Okay. Bye bye.